You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. So lately we've been hearing a lot about distance, right? Uh, thinking a lot about distance. Distance is sort of everywhere, which is an odd way of saying that distance is everywhere. Uh, but in every public space we go to, we're standing on stickers, there's signs on the doors, uh, there's something between us and other people. And we're hyper-focused on how close we are to other people and how far away we are from other people, especially the people that we miss and the things that we miss, the things that we don't do, which is why this is so fun, right, that we get to come together. This has just been a pain point, I know, for some of us to have to go to church online. And it's a really cool thing, but I think underneath it all, one of the reasons that we're so excited to get here and to, to maybe sing together is that underneath it all, we, we kind of think that maybe we've been far from God lately. And we're sort of hoping that by being here, something may be magical. And the, the theologian in you just wants to remind you that God is always close. Always close. Closer to us than our very breath, in sense. He's just right there. And so the distance that we feel is artificial. And it's created by us. And there's this amazing thing that has happened for us in Jesus Christ, that God has given us the ability to overcome the distance we put between us and God. And that doesn't just happen through the cross, that actually happens through something that Jesus gives us, uh, prayer, a new kind of access to the God of the universe. And so there's this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, and that's why we've been in this series called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And so we're in the Gospel of Matthew. If you've got a Bible or an app on a phone, if you don't, that's okay. Matthew 6. 7, Matthew 6, 7, and we're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to focus on part of it. That's how we're going to do the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 7. When you are praying, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallowed be your name. There's a Sunday school class, a little girl about four or five years old, smart professor, big tails, pretty. And the teacher is talking about how Jesus is God, and they're all coloring. And she's sort of wondering if the lesson is sinking because it's Sunday school class. And so she says, so what is Jesus' name? And the little girl is coloring. Harold. Harold. Okay. Why Harold? And the little girl just puts down the crayon. So sad. So so much pity for her teacher who doesn't know this obvious thing. Because Jesus taught us, our Father in heaven, Harold be your name, your kingdom come. <laughs> this is the part of the prayer that we don't really understand as well as we might like to. This is the part of the prayer I think most of us skip past as quickly as we can because we're more focused on other things. There are six uh, petitions, requests, things we ask for in the Lord's Prayer. 
we don't necessarily figure it that way, but there's six of them. And this one sounds more like a sentence or a, like a command, maybe, and it's got old English words in it, so who on earth knows what we're even asking for? But if you start to pay attention to it, you realize what we're asking is that God would be holy. But God already is holy. So we're just asking that God would be God. Who cares? Every time I read the Bible slowly, I see something new, or I see something that I already knew, and that I wasn't really paying attention to before, that's something that kind of happens. It's one of the reasons we read the Bible together each and every week. We want to understand it. And the thing is, following Jesus isn't just about information. It's about transformation. And that's tricky. Because you can just memorize a lot of stuff, but that doesn't actually mean that we're following Jesus. And there are certain truths that we hear, that we know, and that still haven't sunk in in the right sort of ways. So we need to hear again and again and again. Jesus loves you. God is gracious. You have been forgiven. God became a man. He died on a cross for you. God rose from the dead for you. You have a chance at a brand new kind of life right now. There is always a second chance in Jesus Christ. Always. God is a good, good father. God is holy. Now, if you've been around the church for Almost any length of time, you've heard at least one of those sentences. And the idea that God is holy, I don't think, feels like a crazy idea to us. But it might be worth spending some time thinking about what it is we're asking God to do. Because he's teaching us to pray. Jesus is teaching us to pray in a way that I almost never do in the 21st century in America. Because most of my prayers, if I'm honest, they start with, God, I need. Or, God, I'm sad. Or, God, help. Or, this isn't good, and I don't know if anyone's paying attention. Or things like that, that's, that's kind of the way that I pray, but I never really ask. God, I don't think I understand your holiness. I don't think I've seen it. I don't think I've experienced it as deeply as I need to. I don't, I don't see it on display in the way that it needs to. I don't think your name is being honored around me or in my life. And I think, God, if I saw your holiness, I think if the world saw your holiness, things might change. That's actually a really good prayer. And that's how Jesus is teaching us to pray in this moment. That God's name would be holy. Now, holy is a word that I think some of us have some idea and connection with. I think, honestly, most people think they know what it means. I think even non-Christians, atheists out there maybe have some idea of sacred things. But we have conversations in our country about climate change that are emotionally charged. And sometimes the people talking don't even think that the world we live in is very special. And the reason I think that we have those kinds of conversations is that underneath it all, everybody knows that the natural world is precious. It's a gift. We can't even quantify why, but we know that there's something sacred about it. We're unwilling to give it up. But we know that there are people in this country who are willing to die for this country. People in other countries willing to die for those countries. That's a powerful kind of love. That's a powerful kind of value for something precious. If you've ever held a newborn baby in your arms, there's this weird sense that you shouldn't be allowed to do it. Like, it's my kid and I shouldn't be allowed to touch him. That just doesn't seem right. This, this is far too precious and too holy and too amazing for someone like me to be involved with. Love is a thing like that. We, we love love. And this is sad. There's, we, we don't care what it does to us. And there was a song I think that Bieber wrote recently, right? Holy, the way that you hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me. It feels so holy. 
Ian Chance the Rapper actually had a really clever way of connecting the way we feel held in a lover's arms with the way that maybe if there is some God out there that he, he holds us. They don't name that God. But there's some kind of connection with something that they're catching glimpses of. Some, some world, some reality that's bigger than us, some, something that's stronger than we are. We're catching glimpses of something holy. We catch glimpses of something holy when we pray. We catch glimpses of something holy. We show up to a church and we start to worship and we go, man, there's something, it just makes me want to bow down. There's something highest and, and best and good that's supremely valuable. It's, that's amazing and precious and powerful. And I, it's mysterious and I don't get it, but I know what it, it does to me. It, it happens when you stand next to the ocean. It happens when you see the stars on the top of a mountain. It happens. And we're catching a glimpse of something. The word that that is, is holy. In Jesus Christ, we have seen God's holiness. Not a glimpse, but the whole thing. All of God's holiness on full display in the person and the work in the name of Jesus. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about all the things that we sense somewhere out there beyond, and we recognize that they are in Jesus. And that we will get a better sense of who we are, the meaning of life, and all of this, if only we will get connected to the name of Jesus, the reputation, the story of Jesus Christ. Praying that God would be God. That Jesus would be God of our life. Hallowed be. And that is a sentence, if ever ever. And it is an old English sentence. Hallowed be. It's one that we never use, that kind of word. Except this time of year, Halloween. And we don't think that we're talking about holiness. We think that we're talking about candy, which is a kind of holiness. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but Halloween is this thing that we, we talk about. We don't really remember that actually there used to be a day on November the 1st, and it was called All Saints Day. It was called All Souls Day, All Hallows Day. It was a day that we remembered in Western culture. We remember that there used to be these people called saints. There used to be these people called martyrs. There were these people who got close enough to God his holiness, that that holiness rubbed off on them. And they became these holy kinds of people. And if you look at their lives, they're amazing. You look at the way they love, it's amazing. You look at the way they died, it's amazing. You look at the way they live, it's amazing. These were people who got so connected to God, they began to radiate God's holiness, his glory out into the world. It was so clear that in their lives, God was God. And not just in their lives, but that God was God over the whole world. And these were people who wanted to remember, we wanted to hear their stories, we wanted to be like them. So we have a day, and we celebrate. But in America, which is a superstitious place, the day before, which was All Hallows Eve, also like Christmas Eve, something became Halloween, and because we are superstitious people, we said, well, if that day is holy, the day before must belong to the devil. <laughs> and there must be witches and goblins and horrible things out there, and we should be very, very afraid. And then it will be a good day the next day. And for some reason in the 21st century, we celebrate the evil day, and we give people candy. And that, that's because history is weird, and we don't have very good memories about the way that the world works. We've forgotten maybe what holiness looks like. But the Bible tells us a lot about holiness. Nowhere in the Bible is holiness ever defined. Nobody ever shows up and says, this is what holiness means. Never defined with words. Holiness is always defined by experience, by encounter. The, the holy encounters you. And it's this awe-inspiring, terrifying, terrible, but amazing and awesome experience. The people in the Bible can be holy places, can be holy things, can be holy. But they're always holy because they've been connected to the God of the universe. 
they somehow got into the, the presence, the, the radiance, the, the kind of orbit of the God of the universe. And much the same way that a magnet can change a needle into a magnet, it just feels like magic. But God's holiness somehow can, can impart holiness into people and places and things. It changes them. You can add radiation to change something that really glows and is radioactive. That's why the book of Leviticus is so concerned with holiness. I don't know if you've read the book, it sounds like it's a manual on how to kill animals. But it's really about holiness, it's about how to pray. It's just that the people of Israel, whenever they pray, they had a barbecue, which is a great way to pray. And whenever they prayed, they would have a barbecue. And the thing is, when they prayed, they knew they were coming to the presence of a holy God. And to go into the presence of a holy God is to go into the presence of someone powerful, but also dangerous. And someone who is life-giving and death-defying. Someone who is absolutely and truly good and therefore absolutely opposed to evil. Something that can kind of burn the evil out of the world. Someone totally unique and awesome and awful and, and just someone who makes you want to bow down. And so Leviticus is very concerned that you not just walk into the presence of God casually. Uh, much the same way, actually, that you don't walk into a nuclear reactor casually. Scientists need a manual on what to do. You don't just walk in with your clothes. Like you, you need to change clothes. You need to have some kind of preparations on there, steps to take. You're walking in the presence of a terrifying kind of power. You want to be ready. So the people of Israel, whenever they sent a priest in to pray before God, they made sure he had bells on his coat and a rope tied around his foot. Because if he walked in and the bells stopped jingling, he'd probably die. And you have to kind of snake him back out with the rope. Because if you walk into the presence of the Holy God, if you're going to pray to the God of the universe, you are in the presence of someone truly powerful. So a God who can answer our prayers is someone truly powerful and holy, but a God who can answer our prayers is also dangerous to be around. And yet the people who encounter God and they're transformed by him, it's amazing. Right? Moses walking in the wilderness having like a normal day, normal life. There's this bush and it's on fire. And the fire is different, the bush is different. And Moses goes, that's weird. He gets closer, and all of a sudden he's attracted to this thing. He senses the power radiating from it. He hears a voice. It says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. The ground has been transformed in the presence of God. Moses is about to be transformed in the presence of his holiness. Now, Isaiah, standing in the presence of God, goes, I'm not in the right place. I'm not the right guy. This, I shouldn't be allowed to be here. And God touches him, and suddenly he can speak. And he can speak with a kind of power about reality and about the future that makes everybody listen. And you and I who read it hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, go, I think he was talking about Jesus. I don't even think he did. Mary has this encounter with holiness. She gives birth to Jesus Christ. The New Testament church, holiness descends on them, and they get lit on fire. And they talk about God differently from that point forward. They love the world persuasively from that point forward. John, at the very end of the Bible, has this vision of holiness, and it changed the way he sees reality around him. People get changed by holiness. The question really is, what happens to people like you and me? We come in the presence of the Holy God. Could we become like these heroes of the faith, or are we people who just die in God's presence? Are we people who will be transformed, transfixed, people who are thoroughly and persuasively just filled with the holiness of God and radiated out into the world, reflected the way a mirror does, so this dark world gets a lot lighter with the presence of God? And the answer really comes to us in the name of the God of the Christ, Jesus Christ. We were told in the Bible that that holiness of God, which is so powerful and somehow so dangerous, because it walks in the person of Jesus Christ. Because those of us who've gotten to know Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear from the holiness of God. 
We have the power and the danger has been completely transformed. In fact, we're surrounded by the holiness of Jesus. Jesus is the one who walks us in the very presence of God, the very throne room of God. And he teaches us how to pray. Jesus is the one who walks us into the power of the God of the universe. And he shows us what to do. He prepares us. He clothes us in such a way that God can hear our prayers. And the God of the universe can be with us and change us. Now, this is an amazing thing that we hear. And the amazing thing that we pray for when we say, hallowed be your name. Because people who pray for something are involved in that prayer. Nowhere in the Bible do we actually pray, God, would you, well, nowhere in this prayer do we say, God, would you make me more holy? Which is amazing. Jesus does not teach us to say, God, would you make me a better person? God, would you make me nicer? God, would you make me friendlier? God, would you make me just less of a sinner? He doesn't teach us to pray that way. He teaches us to pray, God, would you be holy? Not what I be holy, would you be holy? But we get involved in that prayer. If we start praying for the holiness of God, if we find ourselves regularly in the presence of a holy God who is displaying his holy to us, holiness to us on a regular basis, it's going to rub off on us. It's going to change us. So we pray for God's holiness so that God's holiness might work its way into our lives. We pray about the name and the reputation and story of Jesus so that those might work their way into our lives. Martin Luther, who's one of the great thinkers of the church, used to say that this part of the prayer will ruin your life. Which is good news, I guess. Uh, and I, would, I, I came across that sentence and I thought, that's like a riddle. Because I didn't see it. I'm not as careful a reader of scripture as Martin Luther was. And you might see it, but it took me a while. It'll ruin your life. Because to say that God's name is holy is to say that other names are not. To say that God's name is above every other name that there is is to demote all other names. To say that Jesus Christ is Lord is to say that other people are not. To say that God is God is to say that I am not. And that is actually really hard to do. Really hard to do. To pray that way. But God, I hope that you're holy and then to live our lives maybe as though God is included. To realize that our prayers will actually involve us in the holiness of God and the making God holy in our lives and the world around us. That means we have to stop worshiping some of the things that we worship. Our, our passion for career and success and power and fame. Some of the, the things that we're willing to do for money. Because it really is the most important thing in our lives. That, that actually might massively decrease. That we might be willing to be worse at some things in order to be better at following Jesus. That's actually really hard to do. There are parts of our lives maybe that are dark and secret. We're fine with the idea of God being God. We just don't want him to touch maybe my sexuality. We don't want him to touch maybe my... Maybe the way that I talk about people when nobody else is around. We don't want them to touch me my, my struggle with forgiving this person in my family. You can't pray for the holiness of God that at some level saying, God, I want you to take this away from me. I want to become a different person. I want to, I want to be somebody who's completely transformed by your holiness. <clears throat> and the thing is, this is really good news. It honestly is. Because to say that God is God is to say that other people aren't. And sometimes the things that we worship because we think that they're going to give us what we want, ultimately those things end up hurting us. The very things that we thought would help us end up hurting us. There are people who spend their whole lives, for instance, believing that maybe if their family would just recognize their goodness, that their lives would be better. There are people who spend their whole lives looking for the approval of a mom or a dad. Even after those people have died, they're still waiting for that sentence. You're good enough. You've done enough. You've made it. There are people who spend their whole lives believing that they themselves must be God. 
And they don't think of it that way. That would be crazy. But they go, well, I'm in charge of my life, and I can make the right decisions. And what ends up happening is this paralyzing kind of insecurity or a paralyzing kind of anxiety because there are just too many choices. And if you make the wrong choice, you might ruin your life. If you make the wrong set, you might ruin your life. And there's so many dangers out there, so many threats out there, some we know about, some we don't even know about. How can I be prepared for all of them? How can I protect the things and the people that I love from all of them? And so we get crippled by the fact that we have to be in control of the world. And the great good news of this prayer is that you are not. There is, in fact, a God who is holy and who can save you from yourself in some ways. To pray that God would be holy is to pray that he would be on the throne of history and the throne of our lives. We put him actually where he already is, where he absolutely belongs, where he just might not be at this particular moment for me. And that's a challenge, right? Because some of us are looking to maybe political things to, to solve the problems in our country and our world. Some of us are looking to other movements to solve the problems in our country and our world. Some of us have chosen saviors that will ultimately fail us. And it will be extraordinarily disillusioning when it comes. This kind of a prayer can save you from trying to save yourself. Hallowed be your name. God, would you just be God right now? There's an old poet named Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and she used to say, Earth is crammed with heaven, just stuffed with it. And people who are paying attention, she said, they take off their shoes. Every bush and tree of fire with the flame of God. But some people just, they, they walk through life and they don't see it. We're praying that we would see it, that we would see the glory and the presence of God around us all the time, and that it would slowly and steadily leak its way into our lives, that it would transform us. Martin Luther again used to say that um, you don't have to tell a rock to become holy, but really you don't have to tell a rock to become warmed by the sun. You just put the rock outside. The rock is in the presence of the sun, the rock will warm up. You don't have to tell Christians to be holy. You just have to tell them to spend time in the presence of God, and it'll happen. The same way a rock gets warmed up by the sun. You spend enough time praying this prayer, God, would your name be holy? God, would your name be praised? Little by little, you'll find that it just invades your life. And that's one of the reasons we've been encouraging you to be praying this prayer every day. I know some of you are doing it in the mornings, some of you are doing it at night, some of you are doing it in the middle of the day because you're too sleepy either at the beginning or the end of the day. But there's no substitution really for spending time in the presence of God. You can pray all you like that God would make you a better person. But the truth is, praying for the holiness of God to be so evident to you that you would just be in the presence of God's holiness on a regular basis, that, that thing is what will transform you. There's no substitute for spending time in the presence of God. Just like, again, I can tell a rock to get warm, but if I just put it outside, if I put it in the presence of the sun, it will absolutely be transformed. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're praying for when we ask that God's name would be holy. And hopefully not just in our lives, but also in the world around us. This is the sort of prayer that invites us to talk about the name of Jesus all over the place. To talk about why this God has saved us, why this God's name is better than any other God you can serve. Why it's changed our lives, moved us away from the things that we used to worship, things that we used to call holy, and why it could change others' lives. We become people who reflect God's glory, God's holiness out of the world. Paul loved that image, and he used to talk about the story of Moses of walking into God's presence and walking out of God's presence and he was shining. And it was terrifying to the people of Israel. Terrifying because there was somebody who had actually been with God and you could see it. You could see his body, not just the way he talked, not just the way he lived his life, but it was just visible, it was all over. 
Paul loved that line in 2 Corinthians. He says, look, you and I, we are people who, like Moses, have been in the presence of God. We've been in the presence of Jesus Christ. He's absolutely with us even here and even now. And we would unveil faces reflecting the glory of God out in the world from glory to glory. People would bring God's holiness from holiness to holiness out in the world. So the people would say, hallowed be your name. Not just us, but the world would say, hallowed be your name. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, from sea to shining sea. Hallowed be your name. In the ghettos and in the suburbs and the inner city. Hallowed be your name. In the church and in the political sphere and in halls of power, hallowed be your name. In foster homes and when children are on the street, hallowed be your name. That's our gospel. That the name of Jesus is holy. That it is unlike any other name. That he is unlike any other God. Hallowed be your name. 